0: Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, I'm not quite sure, because this is a conversation with somebody that we love, although I just met her. Her name is Deborah Reber? Correct. Boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. And um, I don't know if this is going to go up a Friday, a week from Friday, so we'll figure out what number it is. But it's Mm 440-something. And why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And we stole that from a guest that you have had on your podcast, uh, Dan Siegel. And I don't know... Maybe he didn't come up with it, but we first saw think,
1: yeah, it. Yeah, I think I read it in one of his books and it wasn't even like it was like his big message in the book. I was just like, that's it.
0: Yeah. That's that's, that's what we need to remember. Um, so uh, Debbie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is loud in your ears, isn't it? Those
0: are my applause. Um, (laughs) Do you you need
1: us to turn that down a little bit? I actually like it. You like it? All right. Debbie's a podcaster too. She gets it.
0: (laughs) So instead of me introducing you, because I could read off of a paragraph that I found on your website, I think you might do a better job of it. So, who are you? What do you do? What's your deal?
2: Well, I am, as you said, a podcaster and an author. I have a very varied background, so I used to work in kids' television. Uh, I wrote books for teenage girls, self-help books for girls for a number of years, and now I'm the parent of an awesome, differently wired kid, uh, teenager, and um, I created Tilt Parenting, which is a podcast and resource for parents like me.
1: Yes, it, I um, I was just talking to Debbie about her book, and I love the word tilt. Like that is so for me, because I'm so I'm like body mind connected, the whole idea of we all are. But I mean, that's how I view things is that, you know, just the idea of not changing every perspective, but just tilt, look at it differently. Mm -hmm. Where'd you get that?
2: Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. And I wish that was an acronym and I need to come up with some words to to use, but, um, right before we moved abroad in 2013, we went to the Jersey shore. That's like my family's hangout. And we were, Asher and I were on the tilt-a-whirl, you know that ride? Yeah. And so someone snapped a picture of us and we were holding on for dear life. You know, our hair was whipping back and we had these grins on our faces and just waiting for the next Whip. Whip. (laughs) And so I love that picture. And it really, to me, captured how we were feeling just about this huge leap we were making and changing everything in our life. And so I started a blog that I called Tilt a World, where I just started reflecting on our journey. And then that word tilt just kind of stuck with me. And I just think it's a cool word, too. And there's so many meanings behind it. So when I created Tilt Parenting, and Asher was vetting all the You know, the list of 100 names I was considering, that was the one that he approved of and that I really liked.
0: How old is Asher?
2: He is 13.
0: Can you tell me about this young man?
2: Yes, he is a fascinating, funny, complicated human. He is um, what's known as twice exceptional. And for listeners who don't know what that is, twice exceptional means being gifted, but with some sort of secondary diagnosis. So in his case, it's ADHD and Asperger's. And yeah, he is a, you know, my friend who's an educator used to refer to him as a tricky customer because it's been really a puzzle to figure out what he needs, who he is, how his brain works. I'm still learning all of those things. And yeah, so he's my challenging, fascinating kiddo.
0: So, um, there, we have X amount of listeners out there and there might be some moms and dads out there. Oh, well, my kid is typical and doesn't have these, uh,
1: the same challenges, same
0: challenges. Why do I need to listen to this? So before they tune off and say, well, this has nothing to do with me, what would you say to them to say, actually, this does have something to do with you?
2: Yeah, I believe, well, first of all, differently wired kids are at least 20% of the population. And I venture to say it's closer to 50. Um, So the reality is that your child is friends with differently wired kids in classrooms with differently wired kids. They're they're going to be their colleagues someday. And I believe these kids have so many gifts to bring to the world that this is a collective responsibility. And parents of neurotypical kids are, they hold a lot of power mm-hmm. um, in our society. And we need you. We need you on our team to
1: advocate for us. Oh, what a beautiful way to say that. And that's, and that's the thing is I love what you said about the percentage is probably a lot higher. And if we even pull back the lens even further, all of our kids you know sometimes we we parent in a box where mm-hmm. we say my kid is like me or my kid is like my partner or my kid doesn't do this now but they eventually will or I'm not going to worry about this or I'm not going to look at this and the truth is is that all of our kids need um us to be experts in them
2: yeah absolutely i mean really the book a lot of the advice i gave is about how to come to terms with the disconnect between what you expected your child to be and the reality of what is. And that's true for any parent. You know, we have a vision for who they're going to be in the world. And they're often have their own agenda that has nothing to do with what we were thinking. So um, yeah, it's really important that we... All kind of really become fluent in who they are
1: will you tell us that story for you and again i know it's ongoing you know it's not like oh and then now i'm fine and uh, you know (laughs) now i have no challenges with this but tell us like how you know how old asher was or what your experience was with uh realizing that his learning style or who he was was different
2: yeah i mean we knew early on just that he was more intense Mm -hmm. and He was just that kid who could never settle or could shut down a restaurant pretty easily when he was two. We'd get a lot of sympathetic looks from other parents. And so we just were like, this is pretty intense, more than we thought. And then in the preschool years was when we started getting more notes home from school. And we actually took him initially to see a therapist for anger management. I didn't know you could take a four-year-old to therapy for anger management. What's that going to look like? Um, So... We were like okay this is pretty intense and maybe there's something going on and it was really just this really gradual thing over years and years you know first it was sensory processing issues i was like okay we've got it this is it and then a friend suggested a year later i think you might want to do some further assessment i think there might be something else going on so we did that when he was five and we got some provisional diagnoses And then three years later, we had him tested again and got more information. So it's been this discovery. And you know, I still don't really know what's going on with him. He's changing constantly and he's developed out of some things and uh, it's complicated to know what he needs.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, when you think about all the things you were learning about him as he was growing and now he's going through adolescence. Mm -hmm. And so you add that to, you know, in puberty and that is disruptive no matter who you are, no matter how you're wired. And so there is, and you know what, It's funny, Debbie, because that's exactly it. You know, I'm so glad we started with saying this is specifically about, you know, your experience with your son and and your community, you know, but really this is what we we need to pay attention to our kids at every age, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, how along for the ride has Asher been? Like, has he been, has he been like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to learn this. Or has he been like, this is interesting to me too
2: he's interested in everything which I'm really lucky about that because I can kind of just put books on his Kindle Um, you know he has read a Dan Siegel book or two and he he looks at it from a very kind of removed perspective he doesn't necessarily think that he needs work in a lot of these areas, mm-hmm. but he's open to it. And I looped him into the work of Carol Dweck. Yes. So and that really made an impact on him. And I had that chart of growth of mindset strengths versus fixed mindset uh, traits. And we had that up in our classroom for a long time. And we referred to that and he wants to, you know, he's very confident and feels great about who he is. And he wants to be the best person version of himself that he can be. So that works in my favor. I'd say as he's getting older, he's, uh, you know, and it's probably part of the teenhood, you don't want to stand out as much and or be defined by your differences. And so he is a little more private and not necessarily wanting to um, just announce or even acknowledge he has these areas. In fact, the camp he's at right now, I had to provide some goals, suggested goals for him. And I was supposed to have one of his goals and he was like I don't think I have anything to work on. Mm. And I don't think I should have to work on anything at camp. I'm right. going to camp. I was like okay,
1: fair mm. enough, right. <laughs> and that's like how do you um your personality is so great. Like even when you just walked in the door, I was like, oh, she I, I she's just um
0: all the way from Amsterdam. Well,
1: I know, less. I know just a just hey, real spirit. quick before you ask your question. Okay. So
0: we we get people, you know, they'll they'll google parenting podcast, so we get a lot of requests for people to say hey i want to be on your show and uh, and with all due respect to everybody out there we usually say no just because kathy and i are selfish and want to (laughs) have the mics to ourselves (laughs) well and and
1: also time and uh, time yeah
0: so we're not a big interviewee type of podcast usually it's kathy and i go back and forth so when i got your email you're like oh i'm gonna answer because the first thing i say is well first of all we don't do virtual interviews Mm -hmm. you have to be here so that eliminates most of the people. And you're in Amsterdam, like, well, there's no way this lady's gonna come here. <laughs> and then she's like, I'll, I'll, and and the other reason, aside from you coming from overseas, and you're on a book tour, you're mm-hmm. in the middle of this book tour about this book. And Kathy told me when she picked up the book and read some of it, she's like, this, this book is like, she'll, she'll tell me what she thinks. Mm-hmm. She's like, this book is really, really good. Yes. So, yeah, yes. and um, so anyways, So, uh, but the reason I wanted to have you on here is because we've done 400 and some odd podcasts, but we've never talked about specifically the topic that that's impacting 20% of the kids out there.
1: Or we have, but from a removed perspective Mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not fair. There's some things that we want to talk about on the show where I'm like, I can add, like I'm a therapist, so I can add my insight with the people I've worked with, but it's so different when, um, when it is your family and your experience, like, you know, whenever anyone's telling me how I feel or experience something they haven't experienced, I'm like, Y- you don't know. Yeah, it would right?
0: be inauthentic for us to come in because we're not experts on this. Yeah. And you're you are you're an expert because you're the mother of Asher, mm-hmm. along with all these other resources that you bring to it. And your community, so, yeah. um, so I feel like I can go in a lot of different directions. And I interrupted you, so...
1: You know what? That's okay. I don't even remember what I was going to say. I think I was going to say something to the effect of, I love your... Um, you know and again i don't know what you're feeling inside but that he's like i don't need to do this and you know and i don't need goals and you were like all right like that's a, i that's kind of what i how i try and be with my kids too like okay i'm in this with you i'm not against you um but still it's challenging right
2: yeah i mean i think me 2 or 3 years ago would have forced him to come up with a goal because i would have been like no we have to have a goal this is what we're doing and what are they going to think and they he's going to be the problem kid before he even shows up and But yeah, but now I was like,
1: got it. No goal. You know what? I actually have a good place to go into the book. Okay. Because this is is one of the tilts, is not worrying so much about what other people think. Mm. And it actually, I want to like kind of cross that with another tilt. Tilt number three, sweetie. Tilt number three and tilt number one is is, uh, I can't remember the language you use, but look at parenting from a whole new light.
2: Yeah. Question everything you thought you knew about parenting,
1: everything. And that's really that whole, that sentence you just said about his goals. It's kind of the mix of the two. First of Mm -hmm. all, question why Mm -hmm. we're doing this and why things are the way they are, and then come in and worry less about what other things. So what other people think. So tell us about, you know, you can grab onto either of those, but how was that road for you?
2: Oh my God. It was so hard. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I realized how much I cared about what other people thought until I was raising a kid who was drawing a lot of negative attention in, you know, towards me, specifically as the primary caregiver and the one doing the drop offs at preschool and the one, you know, having the kid raging in the car while all the other families are walking and trying to act like they're not looking and noticing what's happening So that was a real struggle for me. I'm used to being really competent at what I do, and I'm a problem solver. And I just personally struggled for years. And I don't think I knew it even. Um, We went to go see um, uh, some kind of a therapist in Seattle, one of many. And I brought her to kind of check out Asher and more his energy and see what was going on. And she honed in on me. Mm. And she's like, you got to let it go. She said I can just see how tightly you are holding on to what other people think and you have to release that it's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And uh just her telling I burst into tears and and I had to really start thinking about it like yeah this is not and I and I again I didn't realize I was even doing that or how much I was um Making that mean, you know, about myself and being a feeling like a failure and incompetent all the time. Mm. Um, So I have done a lot of work um, on that and it's ongoing. I'm not over it. Yeah. So
0: when you burst into tears, usually when we burst into tears, it probably means there's something truthful happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So just help me understand why did you burst into tears when she said that?
2: I think I was relieved almost, Mm. you know, that someone saw me and even just noticed my experience and what was going on because everything was so directed at supporting Asher and getting him what he needed. And I wasn't doing anything for myself at the time. So even just having someone looking at me lovingly and kind of getting it right away was a relief. Yeah,
1: And not only looking at you and noticing you, but saying, you need to let it go. Mm -hmm. Not you know, you really need to figure this out yeah. because there are some professionals, you know, th- it's, it's interesting to talk about this because being a part of the mental health world, um, is that you really, there are some professionals who are amazing at that support, supportive, compassionate. Um, and I know a lot of them, but there are some professionals that it, this is, it's a, these are human beings in this job that are can be very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And did you ever have that experience of a of a therapist who was judgmental, or were you were you blessed to not have that? I haven't had that. Wonderful. Yeah.
2: No, I got lucky. Wonderful. So
0: um, I'm going to claim my own ignorance here because you use the term differently wired. You talked about Asher with ADHD, Aspergers. They talk about the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Like, is is that guy on the spectr- spectrum? Is that young lady on the spectrum? Can you like? assume i don't know anything Mm -hmm. about this and just help me understand terms like differently wired or neuro or neurodiverse or Mm -hmm. atypical or and if is autism and asperger's part of this but like i don't even because my best experience is i watched the tv show parenthood did Mm -hmm. you watch that i did with max yeah that sweet little Mm -hmm. awesome actor Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's 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 my experience, Yeah. and so it's very naive. Yeah, and I'm wondering if and my wife has got much more experience, but I don't, and I'm guessing a lot of other listeners mm-hmm. don't also. So, can yeah. you help me out with that?
2: Absolutely. So, and I will just say that my husband and I started watching Parenthood because a lot of people mm. we were going through all this when that was happening, and a lot of people said, "You should watch this." And we watched two episodes, and we were like, "Oh, I can't do this. Mm. It was too. It was too hitting too close to home so at the moment." Did I it was like, "Oh." Yeah. Yeah. But so neurodiversity is kind of the word that most people are using right now. And what that word actually means is that there are variances within, you know, the brain that are normal variances within the human experience. So rather than looking at things that this is a disorder, this is a disorder, this is all just part of the range of normal variance in being human. So it's kind of shifting things from a deficit base to Mm -hmm. being very positive, which I personally like. Um, I've always had a problem with language like disorder and, you know, all those things, which is why I use difference, Mm -hmm. because I do believe it's a difference, not a bad thing or a deficit. Um, In terms of, I'll just touch on the spectrum piece, because that's very confusing. Mm -hmm. So right now, everything is classified under autism spectrum disorder. So ASD, and that's what Asher's technical diagnosis is asperger's used to be separated out and the most recent dsm removed that as its own diagnosis which was really controversial Mm -hmm. in the community some people really like identifying as an aspie and you know that piece and now that's been kind of replaced people talk about high functioning autism and low functioning and that is very controversial as well because who wants to be considered low functioning you know Mm -hmm. so it's um and then there's the you know whether you say I'm an autistic person or a person with autism uh, what I've read among the autistic community is that identifying as an autistic person is more preferable. So anyway, it's it's interesting. I don't have an opinion on those things. I'd like to just say this is the conversation that's going on, but when I talk about differently wired, I'm talking about all kinds of things. So Uh, learning differences like dyslexia and dysgraphia and dyscalculia sensory processing issues anxiety disorder there are so many kids with with you know social anxiety um giftedness i include in there because being highly gifted is a special need in its own right a lot of people don't consider that but there are a lot of challenges that come with being gifted so that's why the the numbers are so big and i believe rather than kind of separating us out into these little buckets where it's like, you guys go there, you guys need this school, you know, that dilutes us. And there's so many of us that I think if we kind of collectively say, hey, there's different ways to be human, we need to support all of these that we can actually make some change happen.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that because the, there's, I can't, I don't think this is one of your specific tilts, but I, something that I kind of read or felt throughout what I read was looking at every perceived challenge as an opportunity. Or I'm I'm a huge huge word person. Mm -hmm. So even the words you're using, it like res I'm like my energy is high because Mm -hmm. I agree. That's part of the reason. Um, again, I usually don't talk about the mental health world so often, but I, um, you know, the language is really, you know, just the DSM alone Mm -hmm. is all about labeling and finding what your disorder is. Mm -hmm. And I tend to view things more through a positive psychology, like what's working, what can we pull from? What can we, what, you know, how can we see this challenge as a, um, as an opportunity Mm -hmm. for growth, I think Mm -hmm. was the language you used. Um, so Is that something you come by naturally, Debbie? Like, have you always known that? And then Asher reinforced that? Or have you learned that? Or tell me about your experience with that. Gosh,
2: I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I mean, I think as we got information, I definitely didn't appreciate necessarily the way some of the diagnoses were shared with us. Um, It didn't feel good to me. It felt like it was very much looking for things, uh, for problems that would get us services in school. And I know that that's the way the system works, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't care about those things. I mean, I did, but I really just want to understand who this person is so that I can help him and support him and, and just help him kind of find his path. So I think I personally struggled a lot with just the labels themselves and then yeah as I kind of started learning more about this and and all the differences I really started paying more attention to language Asher drew my attention to language too sometimes I would talk with him and he would point out you know at one point I think I write about this in the book but I talked about an article I had read about the risks of um, having an autistic child some new study and he was like what do you mean the risks you know and he said, what do they think it is, a disease? I'll never forget hearing him say that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, it's just how we talk. And, and it also made me think, how how much is he gonna be hearing this growing up, you know? And that word epidemic, Steve Silberman, when I interviewed him, we talked about that. And just medicalizing these things, you know, referring to the epidemic of autism. That's, again, it sounds like it's the plague, Great. you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and that's why, even though this is a different thing, but since we're talking about the DSM, why you know, there was a lot of controversial things when they changed it, one of them being that grief was going to be a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about that, mm-hmm. but that grieving was going to be something we could diagnose and label and then as, as a as a disorder. And a lot of it was, and I will say this because my colleagues who disagree with me on this, they were like, well, so we could give it a number, so insurance could cover. There's always a reason. Mm-hmm. But what, what challenges us as a society is where, like you said, we everything becomes a negative or a problem or everything becomes something we need to overcome. And I don't know if, if you have found this, but I definitely have with all the people I've worked with. What's normal? Yeah. What, what the heck is normal anyway? What does that word mean? I, I ask fifth grade girls that all the time, cause I talk to, I teach sex ed and I always, you know, they'll say, I don't know what this is about, but I just want to be normal. And I'll say, okay, tell me what that means. Mm-hmm. And they can't even, they don't even know. Mm-hmm. So what is, so did, you know, what do you think about that? I don't think that, yeah, I think that
2: Differently Wired Kids are the new normal is what I say, but I also believe that people who... First of all, I don't think anyone feels normal. I think we all feel... You know, my husband, I remember when we first started dating, he said something about how he always felt like an outcast and he was just always different. And and I'm like, yeah, we all felt that way. I'm like, me too. You know, we all feel like there's something strange about us. I think that's just part of being human, but some people are better at... Conforming or faking it, or, you know, doing what they need to do so they can blend in. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think there is any one way to be. And it would be great if everyone could just kind of
0: well, show up in as our, they are. In our society, um, who's the lady that does the introvert extrovert TED talk that we see? Uh, Susan to? Kane. Yeah. And, um, You know, our society rewards somebody like me who's extroverted and uh, penalizes somebody like you, Kathy, for being introverted.
1: Well, and growing up, the, you know, we'll just use extroversion and introversion as one example, but growing up, at least our generation, you... You would never say you were an introvert because mm-hmm. that meant shy, mm-hmm. that meant bad, that meant challenge, that meant, un, you know, incapable, not sociable, not fun. So to, you know, why this is so important in talking to Debbie about words is that that shifts then how you perceive yourself, just what the word means. Mm-hmm. And now having the understanding you know, my, you know, there's a lot more to it than this, but introversion to me is just the way I get energy is being alone. That's a simple, and Todd's like, if he wants energy, he's like, I'm going to play basketball. I'm going out. I'm going, and it's just a shift in that perspective allows me to embrace who I am. So think about just that example, but Use a million others for people. I so agree with you about everybody feels um, a lot of times in you know the workplace we call it imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, or you know growing up. I I tend to work with women who are in their 30s and 40s, and all of that work of putting on a mask and pretending to be different is busting open in the 30s and 40s, they can't maintain it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, you know it feels like something's terribly wrong or they go through depression or their anxiety increases. But really when you get down to the heart of it, it, it is an inability to just accept all those pieces of yeah. yourself. Yeah. And so this work that when I think about Asher and the experience he's having um, of knowing himself so intently and you knowing him so intently, there's so much pre-work being done. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think these kids
2: definitely Asher knows himself better than I knew myself at 30. Absolutely. And I think a lot of these kids do because they are doing so much work on themselves and they're going to therapy and they're they're having to figure out their coping mechanisms and their triggers and things like that. And they're also tend to be non-conformist. So yeah I think they're gonna grow up into being incredibly self-actualized adults mo- more so than most of the adults we know
0: um you said nothing's off the table, so I'll ask you a question that may or may not be hard. is Asher uh, you know we all talk about love languages a lot, you know touch, mm-hmm. words, acts, all that and my um prejudgment mm-hmm. is that uh, somebody like Asher probably is not into touch is mm-hmm. not his dominant love language is that does that is it fair to categorize him that way or no? <laughs>
2: He is not that way actually. I mean, he, he, he wasn't a cuddler as a baby. He definitely was not the kid who was happy to just snuggle with me, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a bummer, but I had a dog, so I, (laughs) I got that. Um, but I, I feel like I trained him mm. to be a cuddler and every night, I mean, every morning he still gets into bed with me mm. and we cuddle. Um, we still hold hands. Even now he's taller than I am. And every night when we're home, if we're watching a reality show together like Project Runway or something, we have a fur blanket we cozy under. Mm. So um, yeah, I feel like I broke him down. No. Yeah. Oh, I love,
1: <laughs> love that image of you guys under the blanket watching a show because that's my favorite thing to do with my girls. But So tell us about, because again, that's another one of my favorite parts of your book is the home, the home environment for a child who may, when they go out in the world, may not see a lot of people exactly like them or experience a lot of people, or they're just, there's a lot of like, why do things have to be this way? How, tell me about your home and how you created that safe space for him.
2: Yeah, it is really important because a lot of them are you know, in fight or flight mode, which I didn't realize, you know, until, until I realized Asher's anxiety was really high. So we do a lot of cozy stuff at home. You know, it's really important that he has a space that he feels really safe in. He's still really, well, I shouldn't say he's into stuffed animals anymore, but um, he still has one and he has one at camp with him. Um, But so, yeah, we just tried to create a very calm atmosphere for him and a place where he can have space to move. And uh, he's, he's awesome. We're all introverted in my house. So he has a nice private place for him to be. I used to try to create little, um, you know, cubbies for him, you know, some kids really need Yeah. And he never responded that too much. But I do have like a weighted blanket in his room. And I know that if he's having a rough day that You know, I make him some tea and I get him under a blanket and I kind of do what I can to just create this feeling of warmth and love.
0: Um, So you are not averse to um, provoking people. And I got this from when you were being interviewed by your editor on the podcast about Uh, your book. And there's a part, I think in the book, this is not your typical parenting book. And I mean that in the best of ways. And I think you told me, and I haven't read this part yet, but there's a part in there where you're kind of like calling out us parents with typical children saying we could be doing more to meet the needs of the parents who have the atypical kids. Mm-hmm. Is that is that part of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think that parents of, you know, there's a number of factors that are kind of keeping us stuck in this current parenting paradigm but i think that you know when you're parenting a child you're just all about your kid and you're moving ahead on your own program and when you're in a system that is working for you even if it's not maybe the best system but it's working um you can just get caught up in just my kid what i need to do what i need to do and not worry about other people and um i had someone on my podcast who's a an activist and she's really involved in um just at risk kids in the school to prison pipeline. So we were having this conversation, but she was talking about this isn't, you know, especially in a public school, it's not like you're, you know, you're paying for a guaranteed service here and you just leave, you take what you need and you leave. This is a community and we all have to be involved in this and we can't leave other kids behind. So I do think that parents of typical kids have a big responsibility to not, you know, look at our kids as just negative uh, behavioral symptoms or, you know, things in the classroom that are impacting their own kids' education, but rather, you know, how can we kind of lift up the culture of the whole class um, to to not only support those kids, but to help our own kids become, you know, respectful
1: allies of who these children are. Amen. Like, I'm telling you, that is... First of all, the frustration of that tunnel vision of my kids' educational development, their testing, their you know their scores, and not realizing how everything um, comes down to people's ability to be with other people, their emotional intelligence, right? You know, their ability to understand other people and relate to other people, and understand themselves, of course, first, and to have children in the classroom to have a classroom of you know it's why our kids did not do montessori but it's part of the reason I have always liked the montessori approach is different ages and different levels and different learning styles where you understand not everything looks just like the way you do it and and even me saying that doesn't even make sense because maybe if you had more opportunity to be with different people and different learners you would realize you you don't really even fit this mold mm-hmm. and so when you know, and obviously Todd and I, our our daughters are 15, 13 and uh, 10. So we've obviously been in the education system in a long time. And I used to be a teacher. And when you watch people or hear people focus on, well, you know, that could be disruptive to the classroom. Yeah, it could. And that could be the best thing that ever happened to that classroom because they may see things differently, experience things differently. We were lucky enough to have our girls at a the public school, their elementary school was there was mainstreaming. So we actually, our children were able to we didn't have to do a lot of deep talks. Their friends, the mm-hmm. kids they knew, had challenges and differences. and you know, they got to be in a buddy program and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, that's moving out of our school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but to your point, education is about a lot more than the test score
2: <laughs> absolutely. It's just part of. I mean, it's a means to an end, but, you know, we're really raising adults like that's the whole point of this is to raise adults who can who can thrive and be self-aware and live fulfilled lives and differently wired people are everywhere. So they're going to be working with these people. They're going to have to learn how to. Yeah, how to just be in community with all kinds of people.
0: Well, and what you're describing is really um, empathy, but the only way to empathize is to have a Mm self-awareness, which is something that, you know, it's one of our foundational principles, which is self-awareness, connection, you know.
1: It's empathy, and it's also expanding your vision about what is typical. I don't like the words "typical" and "normal" because it's expanding your vision about human beings. Mm -hmm. It's like not everybody is supposed to look this way, act this way, do this, learn this way. And when you expand, then there's no more your judgment lessons. There's all these things that we get naturally Mm -hmm. without having to teach. Oh, be kind because you should be kind. When you have a kid in your classroom or kids, because it's always more, you know. There's you and they do learn differently or they need to be approached differently or you kindness is it become it's natural. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and I really think that preschool is such a great age. I would love to see and I dream of creating some kind of program where we really just talk openly about differences at that age because preschoolers notice difference. Like they're like, why is he not able to sit in song circle or, you know, like they pick up on those things, but they don't make it mean anything. It's not a bad thing. It just is, Oh, that's kind of weird. So that's a perfect time. I think to talk about these things and just be open about it. So then these kids just grow up knowing, Oh, this, this kid in my class, he has to move all the time, you know, or, this kid, you know, really struggles in new situations. Just give him a few minutes.
0: Well, and how long did it take Sesame Street to have that character? Uh, who's the character? A long,
2: uh, I'm spacing on her name, um, but yeah, like thirty plus but 30 they, plus at years. least they got there. they got there,
1: and how are they doing with it
2: yeah i it's controversial within the within the community in terms of the representation and and who it's really speaking to, Mm -hmm. but it's a good start. I was happy to see it. And I think it's a start and I'd love to see more
0: Julia. Her name is Julia.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see more differently wired kids, just not even as a main character, you know, but just in all kinds of media, just so we normalize it Mm -hmm. because it's a normal part of, human experience
1: you know it's interesting i've been thinking about the example you just gave about the classroom in preschool and we really do have more of a rejection um remove attitude than we do about inclusivity inclusivity Mm -hmm. like i'm just thinking about how i'm even thinking about one of my daughter's who came home from school a lot this year and said she was talking about a kid, Oh, he got kicked out again and he was in the office again and he spent all of his time in the office and, you know, the key and she was she's very Concerned about people all the time, and so she's like, "What, what, what do you think the teacher could do differently? Mm -hmm. Like, what?" She's like, "Because that's not changing anything, and it makes everybody uncomfortable. Rather than fit, And, and it's not. I'm not trying to make sure my kid's comfortable. That's not what it is. But what I mean is, this rejection leave doesn't work. So, Debbie, with your experience and you know what you've watched, what do you think educators? What, what's the future?" For education? What could educators hear right now that might be helpful?
2: I think just being more aware that kids who, you know, that disruptive behavior isn't a choice for most kids. And even that little reframe, you know, Dr. Ross Green, who wrote The Explosive Child and many other books that I love, um, you know, says kids do well when they can. And I think just remembering that would change so much. I I feel like I when Asher was in uh, his first private school and things were not going well, I just wanted to walk around with this sign like, come on, people, this is not, you know, this isn't Asher deciding to make your life miserable. So I think, you know, that awareness and, and, and I know that, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I think I'm ragging on the schools, you know, teachers, because I think they're incredible. I think they're under-resourced and overwhelmed. And I think most of them want to help. They just don't have the bandwidth or, you know, there are five, at least five kids in their class who are differently wired. Um, So, but I would like, yeah, Asher. Sorry, am I going on too long? No, <laughs> no,
0: you're our guest.
2: All right, I've got the mic. Yes. Um, so Ash and I did an episode about this. Um, what do you think education should be like? And he had some ideas about having a classroom where the open, the middle is just open area for kids who need to move, and he's like maybe a few desks around the outside, you know, mm-hmm. for kids who need to sit. But mm-hmm. you know, I think we could ask kids what it might look like too. But we need to rethink you know, what the classroom vibe is like. We need to rethink these kind of rules that we have that are often just arbitrary and, and just get more creative about how we can support kids who learn differently.
1: So much so like I even when I'm doing a workshop or with parents, even with them, when the chairs are all lined up perfectly, I'm like, sit on the floor, get in a yoga post, get Mm -hmm. out of your chair, put your legs up on a chair and in for so many adults that just so out of the box Mm -hmm. or they're so uncomfortable with it. Or they're like, it's chaos. I'm like, no, what's chaos is people sitting here so anxious and ready to leave this room because they're so uncomfortable. That Mm. to me is chaos. Mm -hmm. So thinking, so, and, and the reason that adults struggle with it is because they grew up with that, with the desks in a row, and this is what you do. And if, if you moved, um, you know, then you're, you're just bad.
2: Well, that's where the question, everything you thought you knew, comes in. Like, it doesn't just apply to parenting, it applies to everything. And We just need to ask, is this really working? Why are we doing this? And if it's just, if the only answer is because that's the way we've always done it, then that's not a good enough reason.
0: So you've been doing a podcast for a long time and we're kind of going back and forth between the book and the podcast, which I think is fine. Um, And you sometimes interview these really amazing authors, but you also have Asher on. And I just wonder if you, I I haven't listened to any of the podcasts yet where Asher's in it. I've listened to a few of them, but none none of those. Um, what's that experience like? What's he like on the podcast? Um, how many times have you had him on the podcast? You know, stuff like that.
2: We have done almost twenty episodes together. When we first started, we were doing quite a lot. And he he was super excited when we launched Tilt and he at one time said he feels like it's like a badge of honor that he can He can represent other kids like him because he wants – he said, I want other parents to know that their kids are awesome, you know, because he knows how parents are really struggling. And so we have done a ton of uh, episodes on things like what does it feel like to be distracted? What does it feel like when you're frustrated? How do you – how do we handle conflict together? And he's super articulate and he just knows what he – I don't know. It's really interesting. He really gives a picture of what's going on inside his mind. So when we first started doing them, I thought, well, this is going to be so helpful for parents to understand for a kid who may not express themselves as well, what might be going on. But the feedback I've gotten, I get emails all the time that parents are listening with their child. And they are like, one one woman said, My son said, I don't remember recording that episode. You know, he's like he had never heard someone who sounded just like him and was could describe his experience. So it's been really cool. Um, As Asher's gotten older, uh, he's less interested in recording episodes with me. He's becoming more private, which is completely age appropriate. And I respect that. And it's totally on his terms if we do um, episodes. And now when we do them we're in different rooms. So mm. he's downstairs. We figured it out. It's, it's always been a little tricky. I'm in my office upstairs. He's downstairs with his, uh, wireless headphones on and he, and I, he, he, pivot, uh, points the Skype towards me so I can at least see him. And he's always like walking in a circle mm-hmm. pacing while we're talking. <laughs> I love it. I
0: love well, it. it. It's funny. Um, obviously apples and oranges, but we've invited our three daughters to get on with us nothing so you're 20 podcasts ahead as far as that goes but uh, that's awesome I love the fact that you include him and how valuable to not only the children but the parents well
1: and it's it's like you know it's including but it is about him not like just about him but specifically, but it, everything you're talking about is what you've learned from him. Mm-hmm. He's such, you know, this is where the word inspiration comes from. Like it's, he's the one who creates this energy to do this work, to help other people, to see the world differently. Because when you start to see yourself or the ones you love differently, and you start to expand, everything expands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, this, this sounds like such a cliche question, but do you feel like a, a bigger person or a, um, if this is not about being better than other people, but that you've expanded in ways that you couldn't have even.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I'm one of those people who loves my life so much Mm. that it's sometimes I'm almost embarrassed to say so. And I know that that's because of who he is and the journey that he's taken me on. Uh, He's forced me to just be so present and and to just open up in so many ways, and I'm so grateful for that. And yeah, it's um, it's been the best
1: gift, absolutely. And that's that is the key to what we were talking about before about when we when we have an issue or a problem or something we're confronted by. There's so much fear around it, mm-hmm. and I still have that. You know, working on this as long as I have myself, but working with other people when they when uh, when something different comes up or something I have to per- look at differently, I do get afraid. Mm-hmm. But the truth is is that when you dive deep into it and when you just are with it day by day because i that's always the <laughs> overarching learning is just be here just mm-hmm. do this mm-hmm. just do now is that there's so much light behind it there's so much there's so many gifts in it mm-hmm. that we could have never predicted or experienced any other way
2: absolutely that has been my experience one of the things i try to share with parents is to look for the bright spots every day at least one and even sometimes you can't imagine there is one, there always is one. And for me, when I find those bright spots, they can really take over, you know, they just fill, change the whole way you feel about the day. Well, it's
0: like that metaphor, like you're in a dark room of complete black and all you need is one little candle and all yeah. of a sudden it brightens Lights everything up. Lights the up. whole room
1: mm-hmm. and, and being able to, you know, again, I think sometimes our typical thinking is that things should be happy all the time. Things should be good all the time. And then where there's a problem, I have to either bandaid over it, solve it, pretend it's not there, negate it. And there's no like when, you know, I, you know, the joy that you probably feel is that balance of living in the both because then there, then that does lessen the fear. There yeah. is both all mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. no matter what we're talking about.
2: I love that Neil Donald Walsh quote. It's uh, the one that's uh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. That's been my motto for many, many years. But my life has been so unconventional, especially since we left and and moved to Europe in 2013. And I've never felt settled since I've lived there because we never know what's going to happen. And I always feel like change could be around the corner. And while that is terrifying in some ways, I also now know that's Where you're really living, like you are just living life full on. And that's so awesome. I
1: know. And it is the truth, even though you're having it in a very literal experience, you know, moving to Europe, you know, not knowing how long you'll be there. That is the truth about life. Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing we can always count on is change. You know, there is no, you know, I was just listening to the Four Noble Truths again, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, the first one is life is suffering. Mm -hmm. People misinterpret that to be like, oh, life sucks. It's not that life sucks. It's that the thing we need to get comfortable with is there will be change and with change or with shifting or with perception change or whatever it may be, there is a, a, you know, there is a feeling of, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. and having to begin again. But that is what life is. There's nothing else. No, It would be so boring. It would.
0: (laughs) It would. Um, Can you help me understand the structure of the book as far as I think on the podcast, it was there's a certain structure in the first third of it. Mm -hmm. And then the last two thirds are the tilt things. Help me out with that.
2: So I was actually really inspired by Susan Cain's book, Mm -hmm. Uh, Quiet. I love that she started a whole new conversation. So I wanted this book to do that around neurodiversity. So the first part is the manifesto. And I had done a lot of research when I launched Tilt and just really researching what are the factors that are keeping this paradigm in place and how is it impacting families like us and what needs to happen for it to change? So that's what the first, about third of the book is. It's kind of the rally cry. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the book is more practical and it's where I present 18 tilts. I had to get tilt in there somewhere. so um, And those are the those little shifts. So every tilt is a mindset shift or tweak you can make in your thinking or your beliefs that can have, you know, really a profound impact in your family. So it's really practical, doable strategies.
0: So sweetie, will you grab the table of contents and just come up with a few that you, that resonated with you? All, but yes, (laughs) I will.
1: I, I did struggle. Um, but I did, you know, mark the ones that I was, I knew I was going to ask Debbie about, but I'm going to read, uh, Them so tilt one every uh, question everything you thought you knew about parenting we discussed that Uh, number two get out of isolation and connect oh my gosh so big time you need other people that you can be they understand yeah any any,
0: as we plow through these eighteen that you spent probably years developing but (laughs) Mm -hmm. any like phrase bullet point sentence after each one
2: well the getting out of isolation and connect is just about realizing that you're not alone in this I think when you're discovering your child is different, that is kind of the the thing we all struggle with, yes. is feeling like nobody else knows what we're going through. Yeah. And uh, so we need to get out of that and realize we're everywhere exactly
1: and and then it's twofold it's um people supporting us and then us getting the opportunity to support others absolutely that's where i've you know every time i've spoken out about something of my own that i'm struggling with or with my children you know the first is like people holding me up and then the joy is then me putting my hand down you know and saying i've i've been there so um number three let go of what others think which we discussed which is a work in progress always Always. for all of us (laughs) I know well and especially you know it's funny because Todd and I um, and again we don't share our whole lives on this podcast there are things that are sacred there are things that are children's that are not for us to discuss but sometimes the feedback we get is you know do you really want to share you know you're a therapist do you want to share that you have anxiety or that you've experienced depression I'm like yeah, yeah, I do mm-hmm. because all people do, and so the, the the pretending of that because you've learned something in your head or I've studied something that that means I won't have that experience. That is, it's almost that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just saying that, um, parent from a place of possibility instead of fear. That was the one that I was like, whoa.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm leaning on Neil Donald Walsh a lot for yes, some reason, but him. yeah, that, um, when he, when I read conversations with God and he talked about everything in your life is a choice between fear and love, that to me was such a game changer. And, you know, and I lived that way for a long time and still I, until I started raising a kid who wasn't conforming and I realized the future was so confusing and unclear. And so I, it's really easy to go to that fear place, especially when your kid is moving through the world differently. And it's so critical that we we notice that, we push it aside, and we keep moving forward
1: with what's possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are literally the only two choices: fear, yeah. love. Yeah. Every situation. Um, number six, uh, great for all of us. Let your child be on their own timeline. Mm-hmm. What does yeah. that one mean?
2: It just means that you know these kids might intellectually be at one level and socially emotionally be at another. And then here we are reading like our. Facebook news feed, you know, especially at graduation time. And we're thinking, oh gosh, my kid's not on track and they they didn't get this award or they're not developing as they should be or as his or her friends are. So we need to honor and respect where our kid is at and trust that they're gonna
1: get there eventually. Mm. Absolutely. And not put, it's funny when you were saying before about the stuffed animal, I still have mine. Mm. And three nights ago I slept with him. So just <laughs> FYI. Who is your stuffed animal? My monkey.
0: What's his name? Monkey. I think it's hilarious that <laughs> the monkey's name is monkey.
1: I've had him since I was two. I wasn't really creative at that point. I know that's my, it's, he's my little sweetie. So, um, number seven, uh, beautiful become fluent in your child's language.
2: Yeah. For me, that was the work of the first two years homeschooling Asher because I was kind of plowing ahead with my own, you know, I'm going to parent in this philosophy and I'm going to use this strategy and this script or whatever. And I had to just start really noticing how Asher, a was communicating his needs to me and then make sure he could hear me. And the quick example I will just share is that if I'm, you know, I work in the afternoon, I'll go to a cafe and I'll be, we'll Skype. That's how we stay in touch. And every now and then he'll just Skype me like four in the afternoon and say, are we going out tonight? And I already know that means, can I get in my pajamas? And that means I've had a rough day and I need to kind of get comfortable and take care of myself. Mm. So it's just little things like that where you recognize what your kid is telling you through all their behavior.
0: Well, and you gotta be aware and it's nuanced. Like there's sometimes when like us parents have a hard time connecting with our kids. And I think the way that they're supposed to connect are using this language or that love language or use this, this term or this word And as parents, the ones that have a a more developed prefrontal cortex that has the ability to kind of interpret things, I sometimes miss these signs Mm -hmm. of my daughters trying to connect with me. And Kathy's like, hello, did you just Mm -hmm. see what your daughter did? And I'm like too busy making dinner on my phone, having another conversation. So you have to kind of put on your Sherlock Holmes hat Mm -hmm. and just be aware and see how it is that they're trying to connect with you, because if I thank thankfully, Kathy's helped me with this, I would have missed the boat mm-hmm. on a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. So
1: well, just a real, we just got past Father's Day, and um, but a few Father's Days ago, I remember Todd was bumming because the girls hadn't—I I can't remember—they hadn't acknowledged something in a way that he thought that they should, and I was like, they all woke up this morning and like hugged you and kissed you and jumped on your lap and said they love you and that you're their dad, and and I'm like you. What, what did you, did you want a wrapped gift? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wasn't disrespectful to Todd's feelings about it because obviously that's something from his own, you know,
0: that's his own thing. No, but you hold it, held up a mirror to me saying
1: they you're, love you. you're you
0: missing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, what's next? Um, create a world where your child can be secure.
2: Yeah. And that's so important again, because these kids like Asher definitely identified as the bad kid because mm-hmm. he got, he got kicked out of class a lot. He was very um, friendly with the principal at his last school. Luckily, she really liked him. But, you know, when you're internalizing that message all the time, it's so important that they feel really seen for who they are at home. And we have to... Whether that's not just a physical environment, but just the pressure we're putting on them, the demands, the way that we speak with them, the corrections we're making, like we need to really make sure that they feel fully good about who they are at home.
1: Beautiful. I love, I love the home-based stuff. I really do. Um, Give, and then you put in parentheses, loud and unapologetic voice to your reality. Yes.
2: And this again, you know, this isn't about walking around with a megaphone and saying this is what's going on, you know, deal with it. But it's we can't afford to play small. And it's really important that we start. Obviously, I do this because I podcast about it, but we need to talk about what's going on in a matter of fact way. This is the reality of my life. Instead of kind of hiding in shame and and staying quiet because we're worried about stigma and things like that. I think we have to just start. We gotta be open with this or nothing is ever gonna change.
1: Amen. That's like my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Isn't this great, Todd? Yes, Do you understand yes. why I'm so happy? Um practice relentless self care, which is the the grounding component of everything, right?
2: Yes, it's not an option. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah, if we're gonna prioritize You gotta start You with can't that. go anywhere without first being aware of yourself, your the impacts of your actions, your emotions, your feelings and as a guy, sometimes it's not so easy for us, mm. us boys.
1: Mm-hmm. What is your self-care practice? I know it's probably layered, but... I am a
2: walker and a runner mm-hmm. and a podcast consumer, So and a reality TV show.
1: Yes, watcher. It, yeah. Is Project Runway your favorite?
2: Um, I'm a little embarrassed to
1: say my favorite. It's the... The Bachelor. Brad, yeah. Don't it's be the, embarrassed. Okay. I've watched. All right. And I haven't watched the last, like, what, a We've year we We've missed or two? a
0: while, but we used to watch that show. And Todd loved and Chris. the amount of time... I love Chris. Chris is the best. <laughs> Who doesn't? He just seems like a nice, friendly guy. Yeah. But the amount of times a guy is going to ask a girl to get in a hot tub, I'm sorry. Do they still do that? Not like, are, so
2: much. I have don't. not missed a season, really? FYI. And I listen to a podcast that recaps... It's a feminist podcast that recaps the Oh, Bachelor.
0: wow. Well, so there's a lot, of, a lot of ammunition
1: there. There is. Yeah. But no, there <laughs> haven't been many hot tubs. Uh, the last just, few episodes or seasons
0: it just got annoying to me it's
1: more just about the connection yes. the word connection yes. and i use that so often in my own work life so to watch a show where they're like i just felt the connection I'm how
0: like, did you yes, know project i don't even know what project runway is what yeah. is that
1: well, I know what it is, but also Debbie mentioned it at the beginning. Oh, the you show. did. I
0: didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got yes. it.
1: My, my reality TV ears. <laughs> were not. Um, Let number 11, let go of your impossible expectation for who you should be as a parent. Mm. I struggle with that one. And that was
2: a big one for me too. And especially in that first year of homeschooling, I remember having this conversation with my parent coach who I hired um, out of desperation because I was just receiving so much anger Every day from this kid who was really pissed that we had moved to the Netherlands, and um, I was like, I I don't know why for some reason Elizabeth Gilbert doesn't even have children, but I thought I should be able to be Elizabeth Gilbert through this, you know, and. <laughs> And I was a certified life coach. I'm like, I know all this stuff. What is okay. my damage, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I really had to work on that and mm-hmm. and just let go and get really good at forgiving myself, which I'm really good at doing now.
0: Oh, Wouldn't yes. you say that moms have a harder time with that than dads? I think moms are such bigger martyrs than us dads. And it's certainly true in our marriage. Um, and most of our audience are moms out there. So for you moms, give yourself a freaking break my goodness.
1: Well, we've been talking so much on this show over the last six months about emotional labor and what that means and how there's a lot of invisible work and caring work and carrying mm-hmm. emotional load and emotional concern and worry, and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's invisible. Mm-hmm. So when your partner or if your partner says, how can I help? What can I carry for you? It, it, it's not just about dropping a kid off at
0: school. It's a school. mindset. Yeah. It's not yeah. a thing that you can put on a to-do list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But I just want to say that that's a huge one for me because, um, again, being in a, the world with kids or being, um, you know, doing. The things that Todd and I do, there's uh, I get this message sometimes either outside, but it's mostly coming from inside of me that you should be doing this better. How can this be a problem? You've learned this, you teach other people, you help other people. Why is this hard, or why is this happening? And the release of that again, it's just coming back to reality, like mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. It's not about that you can keep things a certain way or do. You just just stay in reality, and you're you can stay sane. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and when you actually talk to your kid about your screw ups, which I do a lot of apologizing to Asher, but those are some of our best moments. So it's, it's all part of it. And it's actually a great part of it. Mm.
1: It is. is, You're so right. That's where, that's the, where the intimacy is when we're being vulnerable with each other. Uh, Next one, tilt 12, make a ruckus when you need to. Hmm.
2: Yeah. That's that advocacy piece. I think parents don't realize how, especially in this public school system, how much we can get, uh, if we push for it, not to take no for an answer, and I know being an advocate is in a comfortable position for a lot of people who have conflict avoidance issues, like I did, and wanting to be liked by everyone, and you know, um, and not wanting to be that squeaky wheel, but we have to be.
1: I know where our. I've put on my activism shoes in the last. Uh, year. Why, sweetie? <laughs> well, Anything there's been going many on? reasons, um, but it's <laughs> you know activism, advocacy. You know they're 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 related. Mm-hmm. You there's just times when you're just you're like, well, I it, I don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. Sometimes you get pushed to that place. Um, so we were just kind of discussing this. Number thirteen, align with your partner.
2: Yeah, that was a journey for us, and I think you know just that emotional load piece is definitely true for parents, uh, for moms with atypical kids. And, you know, what I found interesting when I was going through this and writing this chapter, and my husband and I did an episode where we just talked about our journey, Mm -hmm. was that I really – got to a place where I wanted to hold on to all the control. And it was almost like a badge of honor to me that I knew everything that was going on and I'm doing better and you're not doing your work. And that's not great for a relationship. So we really had to work on um, getting on the same page. And I had to let go of a lot of my control and let him
0: screw up. Screw up, yeah. yeah, 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 moms let us dad, I mean, don't let us screw up by whether or not the kid runs into the street, but most of the mistakes mm-hmm. are, Repairable. Yeah. So just let us screw up because Mm -hmm. we're going to learn a lot more from our screw ups than we can you protecting us from screwing it up.
1: Yeah, Definitely. or like Debbie said, holding on to it as our way of being justified in our anger. Yeah, like I'm gonna just hold on to this, and then I can justifiably be annoyed at you all the time, yep. rather than again, you know, be vulnerable. Um, number fourteen, find your people and ditch the rest.
0: Mm, I like that one.
2: <sighs> yeah, the ditch the rest part's the best part of that one. Uh, <laughs> I have spent so much time trying to convince people who don't get it Mm. to get it. And that is such a waste of time and it feels crappy. Um, And a lot of us end up throwing our kid under the bus, trying to get acceptance or just understanding for some reason, we feel like people need to know how hard things are. And that's just a horrible thing to do for yourself, for your family, for your child. So it's not worth wasting any time on people who aren't going to ever get there.
1: Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Number 15, recognize how your energy affects your child. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's everything.
2: It. These these are all kind of uh, connected. But um, yeah, that energy piece, that was a big one for me. And in fact, even today, you're still, you know, Darren will come home and I'll be like, oh, my God today went off the rails. I don't know what's going on. And he'll be like, isn't this a special time for you right now? Or, you know, like he'll just read, I'm like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. this is probably all my doing, right. you know,
1: <laughs> isn't this is a special time. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like that is, and a lot of times, even when I know it, I, meaning it's all my stuff. We were just having this conversation at dinner last night. Sometimes I preface a conversation by saying, I know this is all my stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say this, but I just need to say it out loud, but I know it's mine. I know I need to deal with it. Right.
0: And what you say is Todd, you've been traveling too much. Todd, this Todd, that, I mean, it's a lot of it, but I, as I said last night at dinner with our friends, I have the luxury of having a wife that will preface it by saying, this is more about me, Kathy, than mm-hmm. it is about you, Todd, for not being around. And then me, you know, I, I, Unless I am in a good place, I will get defensive. Us husbands, or anybody does.
1: Don't you see that I don't like to travel? Right. Don't you? He'll be like, right. and I'm like, it's really not about, I'm not telling you not to travel. Right. I'm just saying, can you? So anyway, we could go down a whole nother track. Yes. There's three more, then they're all so good. Um, number 16, show up and live in the present. That's it, right? Hmm.
2: Yeah. And um, we talked about that a little bit earlier, mm. but that to me, when I, I thought I was living in the present with him, and then I realized, that I was faking it, you know, and, um, and it's a daily thing. It's just something you have to decide every day that you're going to do. And it doesn't mean I'm present with him all the time or that I think we should, we should and can be, but find moments every day where you can just fully be there and in- your kid will notice and.
0: We'll, and respond accordingly. And when I think of presence, I think of two different ideas when it comes to parenting. One is uh, many times as parents will not present in the parent moment. So in other words, we'll take a crisis. Parent in the present moment. You said present in the parent Sorry. <laughs> parent in the present moment. We'll take a crisis be like, what happened? You know, my 10 year old, what happens when she's 15 and then this problem is even bigger? Like she's not 15. You don't know if this problem is going to be bigger. So like that's the one facet is parent in the present moment. And the other is just true presence, mm-hmm. like be mindful focus on your breath, Mm -hmm. you know, be present in what's going around you at the present time without judgment. Like, Mm -hmm. so for me, that's two faceted. One is just the idea that we'll fast forward to some pretend problem that may or may not happen in the future. And the other is truly being present with yourself, with your loved ones and all that. Well, and to your point, they feel it.
2: Absolutely. And yeah, I'm just thinking of a, of an incident that happened a few months ago where Asher just had a really bad day. He was in his room, upset. And, uh, I didn't, I was really mad because I was like, I did everything right today, you know? And, um, but I had a choice, right? I could just hold my ground and decide to be annoyed all night or I could go in and, and lean into it mm. and so I just went in and for some reason I was having, a, I guess I had a good turnaround and I just said, it was a 10 at night, I was like, can you go put on your shoes, we're going for a walk mm. and okay. he did for some reason.
0: <laughs> I surprised Yeah, you.
2: so and we walked to Museum Pline. it was one of those beautiful nights, you know, we took pictures of the clouds and we just ended up having this most magical conversation and walk way past bedtime but It was because I made that decision to just, you know, push my agenda aside and just be with him in that moment.
1: And that's so true. A lot of times we dig in our heels because we're like, I took responsibility for my piece. That person isn't showing up. And we really believe that it, that, that a relationship is about just everybody, you know, it's half and half, you bring Mm -hmm. your half. And sometimes the dynamic just needs to completely shift. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the person you're across from can only bring 5% that day. And that we, if we have the energy, um, that's, I'm going to use that. That really helped me because there are some times when I really do think to myself, I did my part Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to have to, you know, now there's natural consequences. You know how sometimes that kind of language, even though supposed to be helpful, we use it almost as a, um, what's the word? Uh, Not an abusive thing, but we use it to like justify our own righteousness. As a weapon? As a weapon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see me going like this? Okay. (laughs) Um, So two more. 17, help your kids embrace self-discovery.
2: Yeah. And again, we talked about that a little bit earlier, too. But I think these kids, when they know who they are, um, they can really get interested in that. And, and we need to model that as well. But, um, you know, we talk brain science all the time. It helps them learn how to be better advocates for themselves in school and in life and just kind of embrace their strengths.
1: Beautiful. And then 18, if it doesn't exist, create it. Mm.
2: Yeah. And I like that that goes full circle back to question everything you thought you knew about parenting. And for a lot of these kids, it doesn't exist. And that's really can be a scary place. You know, if you just don't even know what this could look like, but I encourage people to start envisioning, you know, if I could, it's that age old coaching question. If I could create anything, what would it look like? And then you just take little steps to bring one piece of that into reality, but we
1: need to get really creative. Mm. That's right. And this book, you know, and again, it's called Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. But I was saying to Todd, that in, and just in this conversation, so helpful to me. And um, I I just think this applies to everybody. Right. I think this definitely applies to, a, there's a community that's going to embrace this with, with such gratitude. But I think every parent is going to get something from this book. I, rec- I recommend this to everybody. Well,
0: and those 18 those um, tilts. tilts really depending on what lens you look at them through it can applies to all applies to work applies to being a son or a daughter it applies to any relationship Mm -hmm. so i don't know i feel like you you wrote a really amazing um i don't know self-help book that's the wrong word but how to be the best version of yourself under the umbrella of you know your experience with asher and differently wired but in my opinion, those eighteen tilts have very little to do with the specificity of yeah. that. It's uh, for all of us. So, mm-hmm.
2: thank you. Yeah. I did throw everything I've learned over the past forty plus years in mm-hmm. there because <laughs> I, it was I. I've written many books, but this was the one I just felt was my kind of calling, and I had a lot to share. And
0: well, and we didn't even get into. I would love to, and we don't have time because we got to call in eight minutes. Oh wow. Um, We didn't have time, but I would love to at some point talk to you more about your work with teenage girls because I have two of them (laughs) and one on the way that's going to be a teenage girl. And it's Do you
1: still spend time on that? Not
2: so much. Mm-hmm. I still have a soft spot in my heart for mm-hmm. teenage girls, but I since I have started TILT, I haven't really had any bandwidth to focus on girls anymore, What, what specifically.
1: Your books that you wrote, what mm-hmm. are they called, just so I know?
2: Um, the most recent one is called Doable, The Girl's Guide to Accomplishing Just About Anything. Mm-hmm. And I wrote one called Chill, Stress-Reducing Techniques for a More Peaceful, Balanced You. Beautiful. And I wrote one called In Their Shoes. And that's where I interviewed 50 women about their career. So I was basically a recovering teen girl until I was in my mid thirties. And so I wrote those books because I wish I had had them when I was a Younger person. That Wonderful.
1: is, it's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, with my children, and again, this applies to different wiredly, be the person, or differently wired. I said different, we're putting words back and forth. <laughs> um, you know, be the person you didn't have mm-hmm. when you were little, you know, where you can actually insert yourself in a situation, say, what did I need now? Mm-hmm. And um, that's, and we teach what we need to learn. That's mm-hmm. what I find everything I get really excited about is something I really need to focus on myself.
0: Um, how do people find you? How do people, I mean, I know Amazon is an obvious one, but regarding the podcast, so go ahead and plug your stuff.
2: So tiltparenting.com is the best place to find me. That's where all the archives for the podcast are. I do new episodes every Tuesday. You can read a free chapter of the book there. And then we have a Facebook community, Facebook page at Tilt Parenting. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram also at Till parenting,
0: And I was uh, messing around on your website yesterday and it's very well organized and put together. Thank kudos you. to you. And I don't know I if did it you myself. Did, did you really?
2: Yes, I'm very proud of it. And just the way you
0: have <laughs> the podcast kind of structured and it's just very easy to navigate. So Thank you. kudos to you. But um, you're such a, I know I just met you, but you're such a loving person. I could just kind of tell. And I'm just so glad you're out there advocating for a lot of the same messages that Kathy and I are. So Just thank you. Thank you. So
2: grateful to have connected with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah,
0: we'll have you on next time you're in town from Amsterdam. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, The name of the book is "Differently Wired," by Debbie Reber, raising an exceptional child in a conventional world. Available right now, right? Yep. All right. See you guys next time. Adios.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you. Remember, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us.
0: Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you will get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask Kathy and I questions live. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks Connect with like minded people through our private Facebook page. We have a book club and get discounts on everything that we have to offer.
1: Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to ZenParentingRadio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books.
0: Guys, want to achieve a better work life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? I have good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You choose. First session is free. And if you're in Chicagoland, contact me about The Tribe. It's an men's group and it's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters.
1: If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by going through the Amazon link under Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you a thing, but we get a small commission from Amazon.
0: Finally, I wanna give special thanks to our two foundation partners, the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thank you for your love and support and keep on trucking.